morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to the Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and today uh, I'm I'm I was gonna say I'm playing solo, but I'm not. I'm with Rick, <laughs> Pastor Rick Whitmer. John is on vacation this week, uh, so it's just Rick and I in the room. We're so in sync that it it just feels like you're flying solo. <laughs> Can I get an echo? I don't. I don't like it when you phrase it like that. Why? Is it because like the band in sync? Yeah. Yep. That's it. <laughs> you don't even know. Were they? Were you even a toddler when they were? <laughs> I was. Uh, I was a Backstreet guy. The no, back, you weren't. I were was you really? Totally. The Backstreet Boys, man. Are you messing with me right now? I'm or not. You actually, did I'm not messing with you. It was the Backstreet Boys. All right. Well. Yeah. That's we have unity in Christ because I was I was an in sync guy. Well, well, I didn't picture the podcast start. Celebrity album, man. We, I I wasn't expecting the podcast to start off like this, but I wasn't expecting you to say that you were alone either. That's the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> you look really groggy today. <laughs> Oh, I'm are you okay? Do you sleep all right? I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. How come? Um, well, I think I'm always tired after the week of Easter. You do a lot. It's and you did it well. Thank you. By the way, I wasn't I wasn't looking for that. I know, but I it's still true. I get I'm pretty tired. Um, and then Katie and I stayed up way too late last night watching TV. What do you watch? If you can share, <laughs> I I probably should have had this conversation before we yeah. press record. Yeah, we, no, you guys have been watching the Chosen though. We have been, we have been. Yeah, so we we started season two of the Chosen, uh, which has been it's been pretty good. So, isn't it weird how like the times you're the most tired can be the times you stay up the latest? Yeah, it's, for some reason it didn't make any sense. Yeah, but there's something to it. Yeah, so the. I, I was up way too late last night. So. Yeah, yeah. How well, are you? How are you? you? I'm, I'm doing well. <laughs> Easter was awesome. Thanks, man. It's good to be with God's people. Um, good Friday service. I've heard from that a number of people found that this particular year's Good Friday service especially meaningful, which is an encouragement. Yeah. Um, now we're in Easter tide. Yeah. It's the season after Easter. Yeah. Yeah. This Until is this leading is, up to Pentecost. This is my favorite time of the year. Is it really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This is, you know, Christmas Christmas is always fun. Yes, it is. It's always it's my fun. favorite time of year. That's your favorite time of year. Easter is mm-hmm. my favorite time of year. Just with... It's very complimentarian. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Another way we're in sync. Yes. <laughs> Not backstreet. <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> I don't really know where to go from. Let me let me help you. Thank you. Speaking please. of being in sync, speaking of being complementarianism, <laughs> uh, what a great way to dive into the subject of marriage. Yes. Um, which is, you know, last week we talked about um, biblical anthropology, which is just a super fancy way that professors continue to get paid for talking about man. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going through our statement of faith. And um, 
Last week, Pastor John was here with us, and we talked about the creation of man, male and female. We hit at um, a number of things, but one of the things that we didn't get to go as deep into and yet is really essential to our understanding of man, um, and by man we mean male and female, humanity. Um, we just like to take off feminists, and so we say man, um, and it, which is what the Bible actually says. And then um, we thought we would spend today while we're alone. You know, Pastor John's not here. Uh, he's on vacation, hopefully getting a lot of rest. We're going to just um, explore the subject of marriage in particular for the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. How's that for a transition? That's great. That was awesome. Do you want uh, to pick up hosting again? No, go. Well, in that case, I'm going to interview you. No, you please. <laughs> no, please don't. Rick, uh, great, great transition there. Uh, speaking of... <laughs> I wasn't looking for that, but... <laughs> I um, stayed up way too late last night. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Rick, what's, what's the purpose of marriage? Let's just get into it. You know what, Jerry? Let me stop you right there and actually say, what is marriage? What is marriage? <laughs> I don't know what it is, dude. I don't know. I do actually. Um, marriage is a com- <laughs> it's a covenant. Um, at the beginning, he, he made he God made the male and female, right? And so scripture scripture opens up with the six days of creation, which we believe were six literal 24-hour days, and there's reasons from the text to believe that. Um, and that's how we approach Scripture hermeneutically, is is taking it in its natural sense. And so we actually believe that on the sixth day, God created Adam and Eve, and he did so in the image of God, which we talked about last week. Chapter 2 zooms in on the sixth day of creation, and specifically looks at the creation of man in the garden, his placement there to work it and keep it. Um, and then God performs the first surgery. He puts Adam to sleep and takes a rib, and he forms the rib into the woman and brings her to Adam. Um, and then man said, Genesis 2, 23, this, is, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is marriage. It's, it is a covenant union between one man and one woman designed for life so that they are spiritually united, physically united, and together in one purpose, pursuing the glory of God in their respective callings. Man's put in the garden to work it and keep it. Yeah. Eve, or the, the wife, is brought to the man as a helper in that purpose. And something I mentioned last week is that God's original intention in this is that his glory, his garden temple, as it were, would be spread to the ends of the earth and populated by worshipers. Yeah. And so... That, you know, probably the best definition of marriage um, that I've come across is in a book uh, by Doug Wilson called Her Hand in Marriage, which is a great book on courtship and its um, contrast to our practice of contemporary dating with Mm -hmm. all the pitfalls that come with that. Mm -hmm. So parents, by the way, if you're listening, please get a copy of Her Hand in Marriage and consider before your kids get to that age of um, considering a romantic relationship 
what what that should look like scripturally. Um, but he says in their marriage is scripturally defined as a sexual relationship within the boundaries of a covenant commitment that has been formally ratified. The sexual relationship by itself does not constitute marriage, um, but this covenant commitment that is formally ratified, which is why we see it as something that is publicly recognized. It's because for Christians, we are within the community of faith. It is part of a worship service. And so the best weddings that I've ever seen are are worship services that point to the ultimate purpose. Did you ask, what's the purpose of marriage? Mm-hmm. Um, Paul looks back to Genesis 2 in Ephesians 5 and talks about husbands and wives. And he says, uh, actually, let me just get there real quick so I get the text exactly right. He says, this is a mystery. So he quotes from, uh, from Genesis 2. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And in the Old Testament, God uses marriage as a, as a picture of his covenant relationship with Israel. Yeah. And so we see the purpose of marriage is to magnify Christ and glorify God by showing the unique gospel love that he has for his people mm-hmm. and that they have for him. Mm-hmm. So uh, last week we kind of we talked on the idea of this is, this is something that we put our foot in the ground and we stand true to what the scripture says about marriage. Why is it so important, especially now, today, in the day and age that we are living in, that we are faithful to the biblical text and what it says about about marriage? Um, because marriage is falling apart as an institution. Um, fewer and fewer people are getting married. Marriage is being delayed till later, which means that people are also having less children, which is intimately involved in this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And society is decaying in uh, as a result of that. Because when we take the creation ordinances that God gives, and marriage is included in that, we flip them on their head, we invert the logic, or in this case, the theologic of it, mm-hmm. and come up with something else other than what God originally designed. We may have something that vaguely echoes what God created at the beginning, but it's really an entirely different thing. Yeah. And to the degree that we do that, we see that teased out in Romans 1. It leads to God giving up people to their own desires, the further and further that they insist on rebelling against him and act as if he were not Lord. Mm-hmm. And the result is um, the destruction of lives, of real lives. And uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons we need to sound the trumpet on what marriage is and what it's not, mm-hmm. is because... Without it, a biblically functioning marriage, which is to say biblically functioning households, we don't actually have hope for society. I mean, Christ is the hope for society, but one of the strongest things he's done to promote human flourishing and designed it to work is um, actual marriages that actually work. Yeah. So... When when Paul is writing in Romans 1, he's kind of listing off everything that mankind has done. You know, he man has worshipped the creation rather than the creator. Uh, and then 
it lists off God's judgment on them. Mm. And so one of God's judgments, God's judgment upon the people is giving them over to their own lusts for the, their own sex. Yeah. So is it is it important that we share this truth, I guess, with people in this idea? Like, if, is it, this is God's judgment that is being poured out on people? Or is that just not the case, I guess? I don't know if that really makes sense. Well, did God make it plain in Romans 1? I think so. He did. Yeah. And what what God has made plain, it's called revelation for a reason. God actually wants us to know these things. And he intends his church to be stewards of his whole counsel. Um, But again, like we talked about last week, the order is important, right? Like it, it would be to our shame if we communicated the truth of God in such a way that somebody who does not trust in Christ, who, who identify, who, who is homosexual, um, comes away thinking that their biggest problem is that they're, that they are attracted to and to seek intimacy with someone of the same sex. Mm-hmm. So that's not the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. That's the symptom of the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that they've rejected Christ, that because of their sin against God, they are estranged from him mm-hmm. and cannot be reconciled to him except through Jesus Christ alone. They need to repent and believe in the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's not repent and believe in heterosexual marriage. But what does repenting and believing in the gospel always entail in the life of a sinner? A new relationship with the sin they once loved. Mm-hmm. And so it, you know... If, if a heterosexual man is addicted to pornography and he repents and believes in the gospel, he needs to have a new relationship with pornography and he needs to hate it. He needs to war against it. He needs to crucify it with Christ, okay, which, which it has been. Mm-hmm. If somebody is same-sex attracted and is in a, living a, a, a life of pursuing homosexual satisfaction, they need to repent, believe in the gospel, they have a new relationship with that distorted lust. Yeah. And they seek to, to war against it, put it to death with Christ, which it has been, and walk in obedience toward him. Yeah. Same with somebody who has a problem with anger or who has a problem with lying or fill in the blank. But Paul does take this particular issue of distorted sexuality and he goes through a progression where he shows what happens in a civilization that is at root idolatrous Mm. it always progresses Mm. and homosexuality is a part of that we saw it in the roman empire we've seen it in greece we i mean that's this is very old (laughs) very ancient we saw it in genesis with sodom and gomorrah so what seems to be new nowadays just simply based off of our technology is the idea of transgenderism Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, you know, bills being passed where kids are being given puberty blockers at early ages. Um, people are becoming what they're not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, how do we, how, how do we process this as Christians, right? Like we obviously, obviously when we, we read scripture and we go, obviously this isn't right. Obviously. But how do we process that in, in a way that like is, I don't know, I'm not, how do we process this in a way that's like 
we're convicted by the text and we want to be loving and faithful to our neighbors. Yeah. Well, we, we, we want to always be, you know, speaking the truth in love, right? Let us speak the truth to our neighbor yeah. uh, for we're members of one another. Yeah. And that's in, in Ephesians 4. And the, and the context there is talking about within the church, yeah. right? But when we step outside the walls of the church, um, it's not like because we're not talking with other believers that somehow we don't speak the truth in love. No, we, we want to be bearers of the truth no matter to whom we're talking. Sure. Compassion is essential no matter who the conversation partner is. Yeah. But so is the truth. And so that means that we refuse to pander to falsehoods. So talking with someone who God created to be a man who says he's a woman, I'm, I'm not going to be willing to speak to him as though he's a woman because he's not. Mm-hmm. That's not real. It's not just that we're in a time where people are doing something that we know from Scripture and by nature. Okay, so that we're in the realm of general revelation here. We know this this isn't right, even without the Scriptures. Yeah. But the Scriptures make it abundantly clear. This is, we're we're not just dealing with something that's not right. We're dealing with something that's not real. Yeah. And that's the insanity of this all. Yeah. Is this isn't even real? Yeah. Um. And so we want to be graciously speaking the truth with people. And treating men like they're men and women like they're women. Because anything else is going to be to capitulate to and feed a narrative um, that's false and harmful. And when enough people lay down in front of the the sexual revolution train, um, what ends up happening is we find ourselves without the freedoms to even live according to our own convictions. Yeah. And yeah, what, what actually is loving is labeled hatred mm-hmm. and will be legislated against. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's this idea that religious liberty um, is important, but we, we don't need to make a big deal about it because we can just um, express our own convictions privately. But the reason that the church actually needs to, in America, right, not because, not because we are the Church of Jesus Christ of the United States of America, but because we actually are the Church of Jesus Christ that lives in a constitutional republic, and this is the form of government in which God in his providence put us, we stand and actually publicly seek to protect religious liberty because we want, we know that eventually if we don't, we're going underground. Mm -hmm. And we'd prefer not to do that. Yeah. And by the way, when I say standing for religious liberty, I'm talking about standing also for the rights of those of other faiths or no faith to exercise their faith convictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, so I've been, I've been reading this book on and off over the last year or so uh, called When Harry Became Sally. And it's a, Is that the one that got taken off Amazon? Yeah, it's been taken off Amazon <laughs> because it's uh, considered transphobic. Uh, but it's an it's a it's, I mean yeah it's a wonderful book, uh, and he's looking just purely from the scientific statistical point of view. Yeah, he's not he's not a Christian, right? I don't I don't know if he is or not. Okay. Um, is it Ryan Anderson? Ryan Anderson. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if he is or not, but it's purely just science and stats mm-hmm. is how he's approaching it, and. Um, and it, 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 the idea of of 
not speaking the truth mm-hmm. uh, has really uh, hindered our our voice in the public square. Yeah. Uh, because we want to be so loving, because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, we've we've actually hindered our voice in the public square uh, to now where we're trying to speak up and trying to speak out uh, and say no, this isn't this isn't right. This isn't this isn't what it's meant to be. Uh, we are now um, considered uh, hate speech. We're considered yeah. as those who are anti-science, anti-loving, anti-blah blah blah. Yeah. Um. So as Christians, the loving thing to do is not not say anything. Right. The loving thing to do is to go forward with the gospel message. That's it. Um, and we can be winsome and evangelistic in how we do that, and we need to be. But the one thing we can't afford to do is act as if these things aren't important. Yeah, yeah. Because marriage, God, God intends marriage and human sexuality for, one, his glory, and two, for human flourishing. Yeah. So. Yeah. So let's get back to uh, husbands and wives, the way that God has created us to be. Yeah. Um, what is what is marriage for? Okay. And then what are the roles of husbands and wives? Within that? Within that. Okay. Within that marriage. You know, in... Well, we could spend a lot of time here, but I'll just briefly mention three main things that Scripture says that marriage is for. And the first we've already seen. We saw it in the Garden of Eden um, when the husband and wife came together. Um, they were naked. They were not ashamed. Adam burst into poetry spontaneously um, before men were afraid of that type of thing. Um, it, it, this is companionship. Really, God intended um, marriage as an intimate sexual covenantal union for companionship and fulfillment. That's one of the major things. The second thing we see in Genesis 1, um, on that same day that God created Adam and Eve, instituted marriage for the first time, um, we see that they were supposed to fill the earth. And so the second thing that marriage is for is childbearing and child raising for the glory of God. and, and Malachi, when God is calling the Israelites out for their sinful rebellion, a hundred, about a hundred years after they return from the Babylonian captivity, um, he says to him in Malachi 2, you're divorcing your, your wives. What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Don't you know that I created this union with a portion of the spirit there? And what was I doing? What was I seeking? And he says, I was seeking godly offspring. One of God's primary evangelistic tools for the world and for the the spread of his glory is Christians raising up children to know and love God, who will then go into all the world as people who know and love God and themselves raise children who know and love God. Yeah. Yeah. And on down through the generations. And of course, God's sovereignty plays into all of this. We can't save any of our children. Right. And many faithful Christian parents have experienced children who've walked away. Mm-hmm. This is in God's wisdom. But the pattern is clear. So, so he's seeking companionship in an exclusive sexual spiritual union of husband and wife. He's seeking children from that union. And so the idea of a Christian marriage where the husband and the wife just arbitrarily decide we're not going to have kids, that's actually not only unnatural, that's also arguably sinful. Hmm. Um, We don't really see that category in Scripture. 
Um, and then, and there's a lot more that goes into that, but I'm just going to say it and leave it there. And then the third thing we see is purity. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, he's talking to a church that was getting some really bad ideas about marriage and about holiness. And it was actually leading them. The idea of being abstinent in, in their own marriages was leading to some gross sexual immorality mm-hmm. outside of their marriages, which they, in their perverted logic, thought was better. <laughs> he says, no, listen, each man is to have his own wife and each wife is to have her own husband so that you won't be tempted. Mm-hmm. And so we've got companionship and children and sexual purity and holiness. Mm-hmm. Those are the main things that are going on in marriages. Yeah. And as those happen, um, God is glorified, which is the big overarching purpose. Yeah. yeah. You know? So what, what's the roles that, that men and women play in that? Yeah, so we, we, we definitely see, and this is another thing that's super touchy in in the church today, even more and more, it seems like, Two major battlegrounds right now within the church, in evangelical, even, even in conservative evangelicalism, yeah. even within the Reformed world sometimes, um, are, um, uh, what was the first one? Oh man, I totally blanked. This is where staying up too late gets you. But one of them is definitely um, the idea of women as elders and preachers. And this is really a... Um, a symptom of getting this question wrong mm-hmm. is that we look we, we look to scripture and we see clearly from the very beginning even in the way that Adam and Eve are created that there is a difference between these two people who together equally and corporately bear the image of God yeah. and have equal worth value dignity unity right so spiritually yeah, this is an right, equal playing field right, right. But just because there is equality within humanity doesn't mean that distinctions go away. That would be like saying that because I'm a man and my wife is a woman, somehow one of us is getting the short shrift, right? But that, but that's insane. Yeah. Um, but God did create a distinction between the man and the woman, and all through Scripture we see these things playing out. And when I'm doing premarital counseling with couples— um, one of the first things we're doing is we're looking through the scriptures to see um, what we call the four P's of manhood and the three P's of womanhood. Um, And this is how do you play to the position that God has given you so that you are glorifying him according to your design. And without belaboring this and getting into all the scriptures that go behind it, we see basically that that husbands are called to do four things, Mm -hmm. to provide for their families physically and spiritually, to put food on the table, to create, um, to provide in a way where their wife can be about the business of being home-oriented. Not locked away at home, but oriented toward home because that's her primary place of focus in raising their kids. Um, and all that goes along with that. Yeah. So he needs to be providing so that she can do that without having to worry about putting yeah. food on the table, which he's supposed to be doing, right. okay? As he's out working and keeping the garden, as it were. So providing uh, and also protecting. And this is where physically and spiritually, a husband is the protector. If there's a noise uh, that shouldn't be happening at night, wife better not be getting up to go take care of it. He needs to put on his pants or not. I mean, that could be an interesting encounter with an armed intruder, a pantsless husband. Uh, but, <laughs> but, 
whether he's naked or not, he needs to get up and go take care of it. Um, so he's, he's protecting. And once he's out of commission and he's incapacitated, then she can step up. But he's the protector, God-ordained protector of that of his family. Third, he needs to be functioning as a prophet to his family. And, and by that, I simply mean not the office of a prophet, but the idea of God has given him spiritual charge to declare and feed his family with God's word. Right. He's the pastor of his family in a sense, yeah. in a very real sense. And then he's also the priest. And this is these four P's coming out of a book uh, by Vodi Bakum called What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. Mm-hmm. I think he gets into those there. But the idea of a priest is, you know, you have the prophet who brings God's word to his family, and he's a priest who brings God, his family to God. Yeah. He's leading them in worship. He is interceding for them. He is ministering to them. You know, Paul in Ephesians 5 says the husband is to, wa-, you know, like Christ washes with water and the word. Yeah. You know, he has a purifying effect on his family. He is the spiritual leader. Yeah. He needs to act like it yeah. and be equipped for that. Yeah. But a wife is his helper, and she has a few things happening. She's one, his partner. We see that in the garden right out. She was taken from him for him, not for his ownership, not for his uh, gratification at her expense, but no, to partner with him so that their family and their marriage can glorify God. Two, she is the procreator, which is to say that men can't have babies, no matter what they identify as, they can't do it. Only women can have babies and feed babies and nurture babies the way that babies need to be nurtured. And she's going to have the primary place of influence in raising those kids because she's going to be with them day in and day out as, you know, as Titus 2 would indicate, and Paul talks about in First, that's First Timothy 5, her primary place of focus is going to be the home. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the home, and that's mm-hmm. what we see in Proverbs 31. Mm-hmm. The wise woman will be about her people, mm-hmm. about her home, and that is going to preclude a lot of other things that our culture says are the norm for women. Okay? Yeah. That's a loaded statement, but I'm going to leave it right there. And then third, she's the producer. I call her the producer. And I'm thinking about like a, a theater production or a movie. You know, you've got the actors who go on stage. You've got the director who's calling the shots and all the things like that. You've got stagehands. The producer is the one. If the producer goes away, the show is not going on. Yeah. They're pulling the strings. They're making stuff happen. They're making connections. They're facilitating the entire thing. Right. They produce it. Right. And that's the really the Proverbs 31 woman that we see. She's about, she's so busy. Yeah. It's insane. You know, I've heard people say, well, what do stay-at-home moms do all day? That sounds boring. I'm sorry. That that has got to be one of the most rigorous jobs on the face of the planet. Yeah. It is so multifaceted. It is yeah. so beautiful. When you see it in action, when you see it done well, it's one of the wonders of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's how, as husband and wife, protector, provider, prophet, and priest for, for him, the procreator, producer, and the partner, they are bringing to the table this thing that only they can each bring. Right. And Jesus is shown, and the world doesn't know what to do with it. It's so counter where we are, Yeah. but also exactly what our culture needs yeah yeah so usually rick when i when i get off work and i get home 
um, you know, exhausted. Uh, Katie's exhausted. Uh, and so she, I walk through the door. She gives me Penelope. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do this right now. I just want to rest. And she's like, I don't want to do this right now. I want to rest. Um, how do, how do we communicate and how do we love one another, uh, in this, in this way? Uh, I know there's many other families in in a similar situation, similar time of life, uh, where it's just, it seems like long days, long Mm -hmm. hours, putting in a lot of work, um, and never really time for rest. What would be your encouragement for young families? And then, you know, for older families where the kids may be out of the house, um, and, and parents don't know really how to communicate all that well with one another and love one another, um, just because their lives have been really centered around their kids yeah. uh, for so long. Mm-hmm. Man, those are real issues. Boy, been there, still there. It's, it's, it's tough. Um, one of the most helpful things, what you just described, um, uh, day after day, we, we get into these situations where we end up finding friction in our marriages and it's the same situations over and over again. And every single time it's like, we've never been in that situation yeah. before. <laughs> For, you know exactly what I mean. Yeah. It's like, you didn't know that you were going to walk through the door to a baby in yeah. your face. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Yeah. I was, I was expecting to come home to a quiet house. Yeah. I didn't even know we had kids. It's like, no, it's coming. Right? Yeah. So you can anticipate yeah. these pitfalls yeah. and these temptations. Cause really those are moments of temptation because yeah. the whole situation is bathed in the glory of God inherently. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've been working to the glory of God. She, She's been home, you know, doing her work at home for the glory of God. You both are honoring God in, in the work inherently. But knowing where the temptation to turn inward comes in, yeah. anticipate it by actually having the conversation ahead of time. Yeah. So, and, and husbands should be initiating that conversation as the spiritual leader. He, he should have the insight to say, hey, spiritually, we keep sinning in this particular situation. Mm-hmm. Both of us do. What if we come up with a way to anticipate it and come up with a solution? So how about, you know, when I get home, um, for the first 10 minutes, I put my stuff away. I just kind of wash my face, get ready. And I'm getting ready during those 10 minutes, decompressing or 20 or whatever, not two hours, um, <laughs> so that I can come downstairs and take the kids. You, you prep dinner. Um, you put on a podcast, do what you need to do. But knowing that those 15 minutes are so that I'm preparing, not, I'm not just decompressing for myself. I'm preparing to serve you. And she's Hmm. doing the same thing, you know, whatever that arrangement looks like. And then one of the things that happen the most at that stage of life is that usually what happens is relationship with Christ goes down, right? Because everything's so busy. Yeah. And you can actually just come up with an arrangement where you go, hey, on, you know, at what time can I take the kids? And you can actually just spend half an hour in the Word. And then maybe you could take the kids and I'll spend half an hour in the Word. And you can serve each other by each of you taking point at different points. Later, when kids are out of the house and all of a sudden you realize, you know, a lot of marriages realize we actually have forgotten how to communicate if we even knew how to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um one of the best things to kind of get ahead of that stage of or that degree of things happening is to always remember that the kids were not when the family started. Right. The, the family was complete 
the moment the husband and the wife entered to that covenant commitment uh, of marriage. The children were the the result of that and enlarged the family. Mm-hmm. But that they're an actual they're the original unit. Mm-hmm. And that needs to always be safeguarded. So the Song of Solomon isn't just a honeymoon letter. Mm-hmm. It's a marriage letter. And it's in, so the way that we would counsel people to always be pursuing Christ, even when you don't feel like it, get up and do the, the, the hard work of showing up for your relationship with Jesus because you don't want to let that passion for Christ wane. Yeah. Well, what, is, what are our marriages meant to portray? Is Jesus in the church. Yeah. So the idea of this, quote, honeymoon stage where they're just really in love with each other, having that the, the emotional connection go away and get replaced by a deeper affection, even though that definitely happens. I just think it's foreign to the pages of Scripture. Mm-hmm. I think what happens more often than not then in that case is that a husband and a wife stopped studying each other. They stopped looking at each other um, sexually. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in a crass way. I mean that in a sense of the sexual relationship is actually designed by God to get better yeah. over time. Yeah. And so being a student of your spouse, not only relationally, but also physically. Yeah. And, you know, Proverbs 5 says, let her breasts fill you with all times with intoxicating delight. Like that's, that's a command. Yeah. And so pursuing sexual intimacy within um, a relationship that is open honest and loving um that's that's a spiritual discipline Mm. as much as prayer and the lord's supper and corporate worship these are all spiritual disciplines designed for um the glory of god yeah and when there's years of that not happening bring in a, a godly pastor or elder or more seasoned couple to to do some biblical discipleship yeah because God actually intends for those damaging trends to be reversed. Yeah. And he says, where we are seeking and praying for his will, we know that he hears us and we know that we have the things he's asked of us. Right. Or that we've asked of him. Right. That's in 1 John 5. Right. So there's just so much encouragement to, to go, hey, wherever you are in your marriage, pursue what God has intended here because he actually intends to give it to you. Because mm. he's actually most glorified when that's working out. Mm. And so just talk with be open and honest within the community of the faith. Yeah. 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 Well, marriage is a beautiful thing. Indeed. It really is. Marriage. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I'll close with this passage from Ephesians 5. Uh, I'll just read through the whole marriage portion, the marriage portion. And for those who are listening, look at how God intends to actually make these two sinners more holy because of their union. Yeah. Because that's a huge part of what he's doing here in marriage. So Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Well, church, we love you. We hope that this podcast has been encouraging for you and your marriages. Uh, We hope that you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.